The reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 11. If you use the Pew Bible, it's page 1069. If you choose to use your own Bible, I have no idea what page. Um, at, towards the end of God's story, this is way in the back, there's this great chapter about faith. And this chapter talks about what faith is and just great examples of men who have lived by faith. And as God's story is wrapping up, in his word, he's basically telling us the importance of faith. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made by the things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he comes to God, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, it said in our bulletin responsive reading, I grew up in Catholic school, and if ever I got stuck doing the reading and it was responsive reading, it was like the worst experience because I would say something and all the kids would just stare at me. And so when I saw it this morning, my heart dropped. I was like, ah. Oh. But uh, instead of responsive reading, I only have one other charge. It's uh, could the people and coaches who helped with Upward this year please stand up? A lot of you guys are wearing your shirts, but if you guys could stand uh, just for some recognition of what was done. Technically, you, got, you just gave me a standing ovation. But um, I will say, my faith uh, yesterday was uh, embarrassing. My upper team had played 354 minutes. Uh, we had six minutes left in the season, and I had two boys on my kindergarten and first grade team who had yet to score. Uh, I actually got to the point where I didn't even consider them scoring the last six minutes. Uh, kind of gave up hope. Uh, one of the other little children came up and said, aren't we going to try to, you know. So we actually did have a play where we just would give uh, one of the children the ball. Uh, in the last six minutes, uh, there, there's an expression Paul Brown, the famous football coach, said to one of his players, when you score a touchdown, act like you've been there before. Um, which I always love that expression. You see NFL guys overly celebrating. Well, my two little Two of my little guys, uh, they scored their first basket of the season in that last six minutes. The first basket of their life. And I am convinced uh, it, was, uh, it was God. Uh, just to have it happen like that. And to see the joy on their face. They both had the same reaction. They put their arms in the air and just ran around in uncontrollable joy. And they, <laughs> and they both ran to their dad. Uh, they wanted to share that moment with their dad. And it was just an awesome awesome moment, and I think of, uh, act like you've been there before, but these guys never were. Uh, they never were. This was their moment. And uh, in all of this, uh, I thought a lot yesterday about why God allowed that to happen, and it was just because he loves them, and he wanted them to have joy. That's all he wanted, was them to have joy. And for all of you who stood up and worked so hard for this ministry, uh, there's so much it's giving to the children, but it's just, just joy. They're happy. They're joyful. Uh, and so thank you to all of you. And uh, the same way those kids ran to their dad, uh, we could go to our Heavenly Father in prayer because he has more love for us than we could ever imagine. So let's pray. 
Father God, we just love you, and we come to you this morning with confidence uh, through the blood and gift and sacrifice of uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, we thank you so much for the ministry of Mount Calvary. We thank you for the, uh, the hands that work so hard in this ministry, Lord. We thank you for everybody who volunteered this year for the Upward Ministry and the ones who always serve and are always there, Lord. We ask that you bless the marriages of those families who have given so much uh, their time and effort to have this ministry work for the children, Lord. We, uh, we pray for the leaders of this church, Lord. We pray for PJ and Dick, and we ask that you bless their marriages and bless their family. Ask that you give them strength to continue to guide us forward. Uh, we thank you for the school, Lord Jesus. We just thank you for the uh, enrollment. We, we ask that you put your hand upon the enrollment next year, Father God, that you bring families to our school to make it a, a flourishing school and just to be the light and example that you want it to be, Father God. We pray and thank you for the sports ministry in the school, Lord Jesus. We thank you for bringing Coach Fisher to the basketball team. Uh, we thank you for the work of the students. We thank you for Jim uh, and the way he's just there at every game and cheering for the students. and. Uh, we ask that you bless him for his upcoming baseball season. Uh, we pray for the example of some of our uh, church and school members. We pray for Alan, uh, that you healed him as he had an injury and illness before the season started, and he was able to go out this year and have another outstanding basketball season. Father God, we ask you to keep your hand upon him as he graduates and moves on to college. Uh, we pray for Dr. Sherrod as he comes to uh, fill the administrator role, Lord. We just thank you for the leadership you brought to the school this year with Julie and uh, Dr. Peterson, and we ask that you... Keep your hand upon the transi transition of the Sherrod family. And we just thank you for uh, all your blessings towards the school, Lord, and all the families you bring. We just thank you for your hand upon this ministry, Father God. We pray also for uh, Michael Saab this morning. Lord, we ask that you give him peace and uh, give Nancy courage and ask that you continue to work in his life, Lord, and that the uh, good work you started him will not be finished. We pray all these things for your son's precious name. Amen. is certainly an important part of Mount Calvary Church now, and uh, we have appreciated our sports ministry. It was actually started, how many years ago, Dave, did you start wrestling? Eleven years ago, we started a wrestling program here, and then about four years ago, in the month of May, Dave and myself and Mike Robinson took a trip down to Baltimore, and uh, we went to an upward conference. And at that conference, our heart got stirred of what more God could do through sports ministry. And now on a Saturday like last Saturday, we have over 400 kids involved in sports ministry out of Mount Calvary Church. And you know, we couldn't do that alone. And there are some coaches here today who are from other churches. And uh, Bick, the Brethren in Christ Church here, has been a phenomenal help to us, letting us use their facility. And their pastor, Steve, has been a big supporter. And uh, uh, Green Tree, Brethren in Christ Church, their pastor has been behind our ministry. So it's just not about Mount Calvary Church. It's about the kingdom of God. And you know the thing I really like about sports is it builds character into the lives of young people. It really does. And that's why I'm excited. It gives us opportunity to help build these young people. And every one of our sports programs, I can stand and tell you, church, that either at halftime or at practice, whether it's basketball, football, whether it's wrestling or volleyball, these kids hear about Jesus Christ, hear character-building lessons. I am so thankful for our coaches who teach our kids, like Mike Kynum sitting up front, one of our coaches. I'm excited. I, I love to go to practice and listen to our coaches teach. Um, and, and we couldn't do it without all of the volunteers that we have. I think of the Criders. Retired. They don't have to be there. Now, Bev's not retired. She's still working. But Mom and Dad Criter, 
what can we do without them on a Saturday? They run our concession stand, and, and I just love them. They're there with smiles on their face, and so many people. I can't begin to name them all, so I just want to say as your pastor, it is a joy. It is a joy to me to be able to have such dedicated people who work these ministries on a weekly basis and give up a lot of your time. And if you have not been here on a Saturday like yesterday for, for, for basketball, or if you haven't been to the wrestling tournament, or you haven't come and seen the girls' volleyball practice, just stop by sometimes. We have three ladies now who are doing devotions on a weekly basis for our girls. Three of the women from our church, and it's exciting to hear them teach God's Word. So I would tell you, church, just come visit one of our sports ministries sometime. I am so thankful for it and thankful for our people who work so hard at it. Well, I have a question to the men this morning. Men, do you like to make your wives happy? All the guys who like to make their wives happy, raise your hand. All the rest, you're going to be in big trouble if those hands aren't up. Okay, so what do you do to make her happy? Give me one thing, Mike Robinson, you do to make Jen happy. You fold laundry. Now there's a man who I never pictured folding laundry. I mean, give him a hand. I think he deserves a hand for that. He does. Folds wow. I am impressed. I've seen him out there on the football field, but I folding laundry, man. Have a whole new appreciation for you, Mike. I do. Okay, ladies, how many of you like to make your husbands happy? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay. This is Kreider. What, what, tell me one thing that you do to make that young man sitting next to you happy. Try to make a special meal for him. Okay. Good. She's a good cook, too. I don't know how he stays so thin. She, she is a good cook. You know, we, we think about that. How, how, and if I ask you, how many of you want to make your kids happy? And we would all say, yes, we do. We, we want to please our wife. We want to please our children. We, we want to please our husbands. But I have a different question for you this morning. Do you want to please God? Do you want to please God? So you might say, well, well Pastor Dick, what do you have to do to please God? Well, it's interesting in the portion of Scripture that Brad read for us, the Bible says it is impossible for us to please God without faith. So if you're going to please God this morning, you have to be a person of faith. So we're going to talk about that this morning because we do want to please our wives. We want to please our husband. We want to please our children. But more important, I think we ought to want to please God and we can't please him unless we are people of faith. So let's pray, and then we're going to open God's Word this morning, and we're going to talk about this thing of faith this morning. Father, we do thank you for this day, and we thank you for the privilege of being here. Lord, we thank you for the privilege, Father, of just taking a time and thanking all the people who make our sports ministry possible. I thank you for the parents who are down front here who send their kids to our program and sitting throughout the auditorium this morning for the privilege it is for us to be able to work with them. But Father, for about these next 20 to 25 minutes, Lord, I pray that you would just allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to our hearts 
through the Word of God. Father, the week this morning could ask ourselves that question, do I please God? Your Word says without faith it is impossible to please God. So help us before we walk away from this building this morning that we make sure that we are people of faith. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you this morning to take your Bible, if you would, and turn to that portion of Scripture that we read just a moment ago in Hebrews. We have been looking at the life of Elijah over the past three weeks, and in just a moment we will go back there to 1 Kings, but we'll find out this morning that Elijah was definitely a man of faith. He was a man of faith. And so we will see that this morning in his life. But here in Hebrews chapter 11, the portion that was read for us this morning, in that verse, you'll see in verse 6, it says, it's impossible to please God without faith. If I'm going to please God, I have to understand faith. I have to know what it is. And in that portion of Scripture that we looked at there, in that very first verse, it says, faith is the substance of things not seen. Faith is something that's not seen. So when we think about God, we don't really see God, do we? But we have to have faith in Him. But it's the substance of things hoped for. It's putting our trust in something. We don't see God, but yet we're willing to put our faith and our trust in Him. Yesterday at Upward, it, over at Bick yesterday, little Claire Hickson was standing next to me. And uh, we were talking and playing, and I gave her some candy, and real quick, I won her over. I know the way to children's hearts. And so the next thing I knew, Claire was wanting me to hold her. So I was picking her up. And the next thing I knew, I was throwing Claire as high into the air as I possibly could. And I did that for about a minute, and then I put her down. And what did she immediately do? More. So I picked little Claire up, and again, I was heaving her up into the air, and I put her down. And again, more. And I did this until finally I didn't have any more strength. And, but, you know, I was thinking about Claire. I was even taking her at one point because I couldn't throw her anymore. I was just sort of throwing her over my shoulder and catching her by her ankles, and she was hanging down over back of me. And I kept doing that and grabbing her and doing that, and she just, I love her. She's so smiley. And when I, when I look at Claire and that cute little smile, man, it just it wins my heart immediately. And so I was thinking about that. You know, she had total trust. When I threw her up, she was what? She was trusting that I was going to catch her. When I was taking her and throwing her back in back of me and catching her by the ankle so she didn't fall, she had what? She had trust. She had faith that I would catch her and I wouldn't what? Let her drop to the floor. And we've all done that with our children or grandchildren, haven't we? In a sense, they, they, they trust us. They have faith in us. But they can see us. But we're talking this morning, we're talking about having faith in a God who we cannot see. That's what true faith really is. We have, we have a tendency to put a faith in things, but do we really put our faith in God? A little video clip this morning. I want to show you that video clip that helps us to understand this. Where is our faith placed? We 
all have faith each and every day. Think about it. We have faith that our alarm clock will wake us up. We have faith our electricity will work and faith in the products we use. Faith that our fridge will keep our food cold and faith that our car will get us to work without breaking down. We have faith that we don't get stuck in an elevator and faith that our coffee is regular, not decaf. We have faith that we will get paid for the work we do. Uh, hello. And faith that the water we drink is clean. We have faith our mail will be delivered. Faith our stove won't blow up when we turn it on. And faith that our ladder will hold us. We have faith that the brakes on our bike will work. And faith in our loved ones. If we can have faith in people and the things they build, why do we sometimes struggle with our faith in God? It helps us to understand a little bit, doesn't it? We do have faith, don't we? But where do we place that faith? And so this morning, I want us to, again, look at a man who placed his faith in God. Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn them back to 1 Kings chapter 17, where we've camped out the last several weeks. 1 Kings chapter 17. And if you'll excuse me, I left my glasses down here, and I can't see my Bible without them. But we have looked at the past three weeks at Elijah, as our sign says up here, and he was certainly a man of faith. And uh, the first week we met Elijah when he came to King Ahab, and he said, listen, Ahab, this is a wicked nation, and because of your wickedness, it is not going to rain. God is going to cause a drought to come upon your land because of the wickedness of you and your wife, Jezebel, and of the people. And it's not going to rain. And so he comes on the scene like a comet. He pronounces judgment, the judgment of drought to King Ahab. And then just like that, he's gone. It was by faith that he came and pronounced that judgment. God said, go and do this. And what did he do? By faith, he went and he did this. The next week, as John, Pastor John preached for us, he took us to the brook of Cherith where God said, after he pronounced that judgment, Elijah, I want you to go to this brook of Cherith and I want you to dwell there. You're going to drink from the brook every day, and ravens are going to feed you. Ravens are going to bring food to you in the morning and in the evening. They're going to be there to feed you each day. Now, that took faith, didn't it? It took faith from him to go to Cherith, that brook, to stay there, and then that took faith for what? For him to wait for the ravens to bring his meal each day. He was a man of faith. And then all of a sudden, after two years, the brook dries up, and God said, okay... Okay, Elijah, it's time for you to get up again. And last week, God told Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath. And once you get to the city of Zarephath, there's going to be a widow lady there who's going to take care of you. She's going to feed you. So once again, by faith, what does he do? He gets up and he goes to Zarephath. And we talked about this last week. It was about a hundred mile trip. It was a trip through dangerous territory. And he ended up at this town of Zarephath, which was the hometown of that wicked queen Jezebel. So for him, it was a step of faith in that journey. 
Because he was a marked man. He was the man who stood before the king and said, Hey, king, there's going to be drought. And sure enough, for two years, it did not rain. And so some people in the kingdom were saying, Hey, it's all that Elijah's fault. It's all of Elijah's fault that it's not rain. It's not raining. It's all of Elijah's fault we don't have food. It's all of Elijah's fault our crops have, dry, have dried up. And so he was a marked man, and yet by faith he stepped out, he made that hundred-mile trip to Zarephath, he arrives at the city, and he finds this widow who God had said would take care of you. But the widow wasn't doing very good herself, was she? When Elijah says to her, I need something to drink and I need something to eat, she turns around and said, oh, listen, I was just out here gathering some sticks to build a fire, to prepare my last meal for me and my son. Because all we have is just a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil, and we're going to eat and we're going to die. Whoa. I thought, God, you wanted me to come here and this lady was going to take care of me, and she's getting ready to eat her last meal. But by faith, once again, Elijah says to her, Ma'am, go ahead, fix that. Go ahead and build that fire take that last little meal, mix it together with the oil, make some cakes, and we'll eat. And they ate. But it wasn't the last meal. Because what does the Bible say happened? The Bible says every day when that woman went back to get the meal and to get the oil to make bread, what was there? More bread or more meal, more flour, and more oil. And so God was providing by he, Elijah was a man of faith. He was a man who was following God. But now we're going to see his faith is going to be tested once again. And so this morning we want to hear look here, if we would, in 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to pick this story up in verse 17 and 18 of 1 Kings. 1 Kings started with verse 17. It says, After this the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his ill was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Faith tested by death. This woman who had been taking care of Elijah for this, this almost six months now, all of a sudden, her son dies. Her son dies. The widow's son dies. And she's angry at Elijah. And she says to him, why did you even show up? Why did you even come here? Why? Did you come here to bring death to my house? Now remember, it's by Elijah that she's been watching every day there be flour. Every day there be oil for her to make bread for her and her son and to feed her and her son and Elijah. And all of a sudden, though, in death, she what? She strikes out at Elijah. She becomes angry. And what I say here is simply she was speaking from a heart of hurt. And often, sometimes, you know, you go and you go to some place where somebody has just passed away. And you sometimes feel the anger of their loved ones. They're angry because of that separation. Because you know what? Separation is painful. And even when you've put your faith and trust in Christ and you know that that loved one has gone to heaven, 
You know that that loved one has put their faith and trust in Christ and they're in heaven. There's still the hurt of separation. Now we might know that we're going to see them again someday, but there's still that hurt. And so she is speaking out of the heart of hurt. But what I've said here is simply this. Faith invested produces death uncontested. You say, well, what are you, what are you meaning, Pastor? Faith invested produces death uncontested. I'll never forget Rita Darty. Rita Darty, young woman of 31 years old who walked into my office one day and looked at me and she said, Pastor Dick, she said, I just found out today that I have breast cancer. And she said, I'm going in for surgery in three weeks. And uh, she said, I'd like you to be there. And I said, sure, Rita, I'll be there. And so I went to the hospital, and I remember Rita going through the surgery and all the, the reconstruction surgery and all those things. And about two years later, I remember Rita walking into my office, and she said, Pastor, she said, I'm just here to tell you that she said that uh, the cancer has spread. And now I began to walk through a five-year journey with Rita or we would meet on a weekly basis and we would talk about the cancer and she, would, she went through chemo. She tried the natural food route and she tried all kinds of things to beat that. And I'll never remember the day I'm getting the phone call from Rita and she said, and I knew that she was in Woodbury Hospital there in New Jersey and said, said Pastor, she said, the day is here. I know today is my, and she said, I know this is my last day. She said that, I know today I'm going to pass away. And she said, I, I, I've called my family to the bedside, and I'd like you to be there. And so I, I made the journey there to Woodbury, to the hospital, Underwood Hospital. And I stood there in the room with Rita. And her, it was her husband, and it was her mom, and her dad, and it was her brother, and it was me. And she there in that bed, very weak and going to die within a matter of a couple hours, began to speak to each of us individually. And she had thought this moment out. And she had a charge that she charged each of us with. And I watched her go around that room, and I watched her when she got to her brother. And she said, Ted, I want to thank you. I'll never forget the day when you opened God's Word, and you told me that I was a sinner. And you told me that my sin had separated me from God. And you told me the good news. She said that God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And she said, that day, I prayed that prayer and said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again the third day. And Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you to take me to heaven. And she said, Ted, there is no way to thank you enough. Because in a matter of hours, I know I'm going to be in heaven. And I am so thankful. Whoa, what a testimony. See, when we talk about this, faith invested produces death uncontested. She was not at all contesting her death. She was ready to go to heaven. She was excited about going to heaven. Yes, there was a sense of leaving and leaving her brother and leaving her husband. But there was a sense of, listen, I've dealt with the faith issue. My faith is in Jesus Christ. And in a matter of hours, I'm going to be in front of him. And then I watched as Rita turned to her husband. And one last time, he had never asked Jesus to be a Savior. And one last time, she pleaded. She said, please, please, Paul, 
Please accept Jesus as your Savior. It's the only way that we'll be together for eternity. If you don't do this, in her weakness, she said, if you don't do this, you will end up in hell and we will be separated forever. I wish I could tell you that he did, but he didn't. And he still hasn't, even of today. And Rita slipped out into eternity an hour later. Faith invested. She had invested in faith. And because of that, to her, her death wasn't contested. She was ready to die. And I have been at the bedside of lots of people who knew Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And because of that, they were ready for that. The rich man of Lazarus, what a great story. The rich man who had everything in this world. And you know, you can have everything in this world and you'll still die and go to hell because it's not about getting things. It's not about what you have. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that rich man died and the Bible said he lifted up his eyes in hell and torment and cried out to Lazarus and said, Lazarus, please dip your finger just in some water and give it to me. I am in torment. But Lazarus, that man who had nothing in life, nothing at all, he was a beggar. Yet what? He had a relationship with Jesus Christ, so he was in heaven. And the rich man, they were separated. See, Lazarus had prepared. The rich man hadn't. I think of Stephen in the book of Acts, who there he was, he was being stoned to death, being stoned to death. And what's the last? He wasn't contesting death, was he? He had faith. In fact, in his death, while those men were casting stones at him and killing him, the very last thing he says before he dies, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Whoa, man, was he ready. Faith. Faith invested produces death uncontested. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, listen, when it comes that time for you to slip out into eternity, you'll be prepared. This woman was facing death and she was being tested and the prophet was being tested also. But the second point this morning is simply this, faith demonstrated by resurrection. Look in the next verse. Look what happens here. Look at verse 18 or verse 19. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. 
You know, it's interesting here. I love this portion of scripture where Elijah just stretches out his arms. And I, I can picture this in my mind. I can picture here's the woman brokenhearted with her son limp in her arms saying, Elijah, what have you done? Have you brought this calamity to my house? Have you made me remember my sin? Why have you done this, Elijah? And Elijah doesn't say anything. You know, sometimes there's not a whole lot you can say in a situation like that, is there? But Elijah just says, give me your son. And he walks over to her and takes that limp body into his arms. And he turns and he begins that walk up the stairs, up into his chamber where he lived. And he took that little boy and laid him out there. And then what an act of faith. What an act of faith. Can I remind you to this point in the Bible... To this point in the Bible, nobody had resurrected from the dead. There wasn't any place for Elijah, the prophet of God, to go back and say, well, you know, God worked like this before, so maybe he'll do it now. Well, there's that one story of Enoch, but he never really died. He just went out for a walk one day, and he was gone. He just walked his way into heaven. I know that story, but man, there's nothing here. Man, there's nothing about this. And by faith, by faith, he lays that child out on the bed. And then three times he lays on top of that child and he cries out to God and says, God, bring life back into this little boy. I mean, what's he thinking here? Do you really think that God's going to bring him from the dead? By faith. Three times he does that. And what happens? God brings him from the dead. This was an act of faith because, you know, when you study through the Old Testament, you will find out that men of God, those holy men of God, when they took that Nazarite vow, one of the things they were not allowed to do is they were not allowed to touch a dead body. They weren't allowed to do that. And so Elijah, by faith, is even himself as he lays himself on this boy, as he's doing something that he, that he himself shouldn't be doing, really. But he has such faith that God is going to bring this little boy up from the dead. He lays on him, and all of a sudden, life comes back to that little boy. God revived him because of Elijah's faith. What a demonstration of faith. There's no way we can please God without living lives of faith like Elijah. And then the last point simply this morning is faith is increased by faith. Faith is increased by faith. When you look at this story, it said in the next verse, verse 23, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are the man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is what? It's true. Now I know that everything that you're saying is true. It's truth. And because of Elijah's faith, because of Elijah's act of faith here, this woman's faith was increased. Oh, I want to tell you, that day that I stood at the dying bedside of Rita Darty, and I watched her faith, and I watched her trust in God, and I watched that sense of that dying faith that she had, that she knew she was going to heaven, that day, this preacher 
Dick Vaughn's faith was increased a hundred times. It was. And there's been often when my faith has been increased by the faith of other people. By watching what they're going through and watching how they live and watching how they trust in God through those difficult situations. My faith is increased. Faith increases faith. Oh, listen, let me tell you, Christian, when you live by faith and you're pleasing God, you're encouraging others. That's the whole thing about Hebrews chapter 11, that portion that goes on to talk about by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death. By faith, knowing being warned by God about things not yet seen and reverence and honor prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. By faith, Isaac blessed God and Esau. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the Exodus. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along those who were disobedient. All of those are examples for us to what? Increase our faith. And I want to tell you something about this widow. Her faith grew by leaps and bounds that day. It's impossible to please God without faith. One night a house caught fire and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof. His father stood on the ground with outstretched arms calling to his son, Jump! I'll catch you! Jump, son! Come on! I'll catch you! He knew the boy had to jump to save his life. But all the boy could see was the flames and the smoke. He could not see his father. He could hear him. He could hear his father as he kept yelling, Jump, son! Jump! Jump! I'll catch you! But the boy protested. He said, Daddy, I can't see you. Daddy, I can't see you. The father replied this, But I can see you, and that's all that matters. Jump! Jump! And the little boy jumped into the arms of his dad who was waiting for him. And God is asking you the same thing this morning. He's saying, jump, jump into my arms. I'm just waiting for you. Have faith that I will catch you. Have faith in me. It is impossible to please God without living lives of faith. And where does it start? I'll tell you where it starts. It starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Dick? I'm not sure I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, it's just like Rita Doherty did when her brother Ted shared the gospel with her. Same thing. You can do that same thing today. All you have to do is this. Number one is admit you're a sinner. There's not one of us in this room that's not a sinner. 
All of us have lied or cheated or, or done things that are wrong and, and probably still continue to do some things that are wrong. Because why? Because we're sinners. But that sin has separated us from God. And if we continue in that separation, we will spend eternity separated. But the good news is this, that Jesus loved you so much that he left heaven, he came to earth, lived 33 years, and then he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he died for you. When he died on that cross, he took your sin and my sin upon him. He died for your sin. And then he was buried, and three days later, he arose victorious over sin and death. So all you had to do, all you had to do is put your faith in God. Listen, you cannot work your way to heaven. You can do all the work that you want. You can be the best person that you think you can possibly be, and you will still die and be separated from God forever. You can't work. You know, the question is how much, when can I quit working? You can. You can't work your way to heaven. It's a gift. And what do you do? You have to receive it. By what? By faith. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity, the Bible says there's only two places, heaven or hell. And the only way you can go to heaven is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Elijah was a man of faith. We need to be men and women of faith, but it's impossible unless we first have a relationship with God. Can we bow our heads this morning? With our heads bowed this morning, maybe you're sitting here and you say, you know what, Dick, I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Then right where you are, right in your seat, would you pray? The prayer does not save you. It's the faith. It's the trust. Just like Claire yesterday, time after time, would let me throw her. She was having faith in me. God is saying, put your faith in me. And he's asking you to do it right now. Put your trust in him to take you to heaven. Right there in your seat, would you pray that prayer and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. And you were burying, you rose again the third day. And I am trusting in that and that alone to take me to heaven. If you would pray that this morning and you would mean it, right now, at this moment, you would be a different person. Why? Because Jesus would come into your heart and you would be on your way to heaven from this point onward. It's faith. Not works. It's simple faith in what Jesus Christ did for us makes the difference. Elijah, a man of faith. The faith starts with a relationship with Christ. And then once you're saved, once you've trusted Christ for your, as your Savior, you can live out a life of faith every day. And Christians, if you're here today and you know Jesus, Jesus wants you to have faith in Him every day. He wants you to trust Him, even in the difficult and dark times. If you prayed that prayer today, I'm not going to ask you to come forward but we would like to know. And so as you slip out the back door today, when you see Pastor John at one door, or if you come out another door and I'm there, would you just come up to, to myself or Pastor John and say, hey, today I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Just so we know, so we can pray for you. We would be so excited today to know that today was the day of salvation. Today was the start of your faith.
Remember, it's impossible to please God without faith. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for its power. Thank you for the demonstration of a man of faith, Elijah, who pronounced judgment on a nation by faith, who went to a brook of Cherith by faith, who made a journey to Zarephath by faith and trusted you for his food at at, at Cherith and at Zarephath. And then by faith, he laid himself out on that little boy. And because of his faith, you you raised that little boy from the dead. And that widow lady's faith was increased. Lord, today I pray for Christians that are here that our faith would be increased by watching others live the life of faith. And I pray today for those who don't know Jesus that maybe right now they would step out by faith and trust you. Put their trust and faith in you and what you did in dying for them on the cross and raising again the third day to take them to heaven. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.